0: So let me talk to you about a, 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 a kind of a, this has been something I've been questioned over the years. I wanted to go through it real quick, just give a brief survey of it, an answer to it. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, and you've heard this quoted, probably this is one of the more memorized verses of the Bible. This is one of the more memorized verses of the Bible. For many are called, but few are chosen. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, it says, "For the, and in some places it says, like it does here, so the last shall be first and the first last. In some cases it says many of the first shall be last. Not all of the first shall be last. Some of the first shall be first. And by the way, some of the last shall be last. Uh, but But many of the first, at least in this world, when they go to heaven, they're not going to be first because they weren't what they appeared to be. So that the last uh, shall be first, the first last. And he says, For many are called, but few chosen. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? We'll spend a little time tonight talking about many called, but few chosen. Now, right away, let me give you a misinterpretation of that. Calvinists uh, read that like uh, many are called to salvation, but few are chosen for salvation because the Calvinist presumes in, in numbers of these verses that God's talking about uh, salvation here. And uh, I believe he's not, but nevertheless, uh, we'll talk about that. And Because they have a belief that there are a select group of people that God ordained to be saved, and on the opposite side of that, there's a select group of people that he ordained to go to hell. That would make God the one sending people to hell whether they liked it or not, and they had no choice, they were going to have to go there because God ordained them to go there. And I'm not going to believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's what we call fatalism. Calvinism is predominantly an emphasis on fatalism. And it overemphasizes uh, a teaching of Scripture, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, no doubt about it. But he's so sovereign, that he can give man a free will without it going crazy and without it going out of control and without it becoming unpredictable. How does that happen? He knows the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So God in his sovereignty has given you a real free will with real choices that you're really going to answer for. And it is just and and right. At the same time, he can write the book of Revelation and tell you how the whole thing's going to end. With all these, un- you know algebra enough to know that if you got more than one variable, you can't solve an equation. You people that went to school before 1970 probably don't know that. But anyway, because uh, algebra wasn't a, to- wasn't a forced on you whether, they, whether you liked it or not. When I went, to, you had to take it. So they have these equations, and you can't solve them if you have more than one variable. Why? Because there's just two variables. You just It's not possible. It goes into infinity. And so imagine the variableness of 7 billion people having a free will. You could never figure out what was going to end or how it was going to end, but you could and do if you're God because you know the beginning and the end. Now that knowledge of the beginning and end, which is called in the Bible foreknowledge, is not determinative knowledge. Nowhere in the Bible does it, does it say it's determinative knowledge. It is informative knowledge. For whom he foreknew, them he also did predestinate. And so the Calvinist basically wants to say, say that He, the predestination of God or is a nation of God is his determining who's going to be saved, determining who's going to be lost. But really what it is, according to his foreknowledge, he saw who was going to receive him and he sealed them to the day of redemption. Right? And he saw those who were going under, under whatever, whatever uh, invitation they received. They rejected him, and he sealed them. But he didn't cause them to go to hell. They rejected him. All he did was seal their decision they made. Just like you've been sealed to the day of redemption. You made a decision for Christ. Consequently, you get sealed to the day of redemption. You get that? Make sense to you? It does actually make sense. Biblically makes sense. And it holds up under scrutiny Uh, because the Bible says, it uses this word, whosoever. Luke chapter 12, verse 8 says, Whosoever shall confess me before man, man, him shall the son of man also confess before the angels of God. Is God mocking us when he says whosoever? Uh, John 3.15 says, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come unto me all, ye that are heavy laden, I'll give you wrath. Does he mean all or just the selected? No, he means all. In other words, the invitation is real. Whosoever will may. When he says, whosoever will may come, is he he mocking us? Because if there's a chosen group of people to go to hell, then that cannot be for them. Because they can't choose. And he could never say whosoever; he'd have to say the select. You know, the predestinator. the the, the uh, you could say the predestinated, or or however you wanna you wanna word. So, what does that have to do with for many are called, but few are chosen? Well, I had to clear that up before I go any further. Uh, what God is doing is in life is he set he set a buffet. He has bought and paid for it with his own blood. He wants you to come, but will not bring you there and force to feed you. He will not force feed you. You have to come, as the song says, come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. God set a buffet, a spiritual buffet. Whosoever will may come. They may drink of the water of life freely. They may take of the offer of salvation freely. Come, so the real meaning of all those who chose Christ and are saved—only a few—are are chosen out of those that choose Jesus. Many are called. Now that means I believe when he says many are called but few are chosen, he's talking about the saved people. You're called, and of that group, a few of those are specially chosen. This makes sense in the big picture. And I'll go down through the specific of that. So give me some examples of God choosing. Isaiah chapter 44, 1. The Bible says God chose Jacob, or if his name was later changed to Israel. Of all the nations of the world, God chose Israel. He wanted the other nations to be saved, no doubt. You've got to understand that Nature testifies of God in a broad sense. Nature, all the moon, the stars, and the sun, and the, the sun sets, the sun rises, the birds, the animal kingdom, all of that screams there is a God. You're, you're very conscious. Why is it when you steal a cookie or when you stole a cookie from your mom or took a piece of something she told you not to eat, why did you feel bad about it? Because you have a conscience. Now, if you kept doing it every day, pretty soon you'd quit feeling bad about it because you can sear your conscience. You can pervert your conscience. But overall, we've been given a general rule of thumb conscience. And God has put it in. Now, what does that tell you? It demands that there's someday a judgment. You wouldn't have a conscience if there wasn't consequences. doesn't make sense to you. Why would you have a conscience if there were no consequences? So in some degree, the the conscience which is put in every human being is a testimony of a coming judgment. So God in his mercy puts a conscience in each one of you that feels bad when you do wrong, according to the conscience that you do wrong. Now that can vary, okay, culturally vary. It's not like the Bible, right? It's It's just a general thermometer, but it can vary culture to culture what they consider good, what they don't consider good conscience-wise. But there's a conscience there. So that's a powerful testimony that there's a God. And the fact that he made everything and something intelligent has put this stuff together. And we're getting ready to have Grady Murcher come and go over this this stuff again. And I don't mind hearing it again. I've heard everything everything he teaches uh, probably at least twice, maybe some of three times. And I still love to sit there and hear it again. Sing it over again to me, wonderful words of life. Tell me more of their beauty. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. I don't get tired of singing Amazing Grace. Ah, that song, the biggest trouble I had with you guys singing that song is I want to sing it too. I love the old rugged cross. I love it took a miracle. Before Sikora went to heaven, we were there. God led us over there, and I said, uh, let's sing... uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, is Chris in here? Chris, you in here? He should be in here, by the way. Oh, he's in Iwana, right? He can't sing. <laughs> and that old boy, that old boy would drive the cattle away. I mean, and he he told me that from early on. He said, I can't sing, Bill. Don't have me sing. You know, I haven't ever asked him to sing. I don't ask him to sing because if he told me, I'm not going to hurt his feelings. So we're sitting there over... He's on that side of the bed of Sakura. I'm on this side of the bed of Sakura. And I said, My father is omnipotent, and this I can't deny. A God of might and miracles is written in the sky. It took a miracle. Well, I can't sing either. But you ought to heard him. I thought we were going to resurrect that old boy on that. I thought, man, he may just get up out there and say, "Look, if you'll stop, I'll get up." <laughs> you know, I'll get up. I'm a... But anyway, he he got to go to heaven 20 minutes or so later. But we sing to him. Sing to him. I still love to sing "It Took America." I still love to sing "How Great Thou Art." I, I still love to sing. Uh, uh, oh man, name some. I mean, those songs of Zion. I love them. They're beautiful. They're timeless. What do I mean? I was in church at two years old, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and we sang those songs from the time of my recollection to today, and I'm 69, and I still love them. They're timeless. Now those little ditties, those 711 songs, seven words they sing 11 times, and it's got to have some sort of a beat, because the beat is the driver, the beat is the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have no driver with those songs. God come. God'll come to you because he's blessed by those songs. He put his hand of approval on those songs. I'm off my subject. Okay, so God choosing. Okay, <laughs> he chose Israel. Did he choose Israel because of its of its merit? No. It says here, um, "For my righteousness, the Lord hath brought me." This is uh, by the way, Deuteronomy nine four, brought me in to possess this land, and. For the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out before thee. By the way, that's my prayer. Drive them out for their wickedness. Because not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess the land, but for the wickedness these nations the Lord thy God to drive them out before thee that he may perform his work. So when you pray for this situation that's going on, God in heaven, you're not going to drive them out because we're good and we're we're pleasing to you or we're doing right. But please drive them out for their wickedness sake. Promoting homosexuality. Promoting transvestitism. <laughs> promoting bestiality. Promoting uh, for doing something. Promoting. Promoting garbage. Just garbage. Filth. Wickedness. Exalting women above men. That's anti-God. And all the men said. If you don't, if, man, if you don't know much about the Bible, you know it's a male book. Amen. A woman. Shame on you. God wants men to be number one. That's why he made Adam first. He could have made Eve first. He could have. We say amen. He could have made Eve first. But he made Adam first. Somebody's got to be first. And so he made Adam first. That doesn't make us better, but it does make us different. Amen. That's why a woman's supposed to, oh, you're going to love this good preaching. This is why a woman's supposed to reverence her husband. That's good Bible, brother. What do you reverence? His God-given position. You don't reverence maybe him so much because you know him too well. But you the position. You women do the best favor for yourself when you promote your husband. Best favor in the world you do for yourself is to promote your husband and help him to be a success because you get you get brought right in with that vacuum. Amen. Beat your husband down, criticize him, Humble him, and you're going to get what you deserve. Raise him up, lift him up, promote him. You girls and you girl, you girls, you're born to make a man great. That's good preaching. That's Bible, man. Make some man great. Because I can go to Ernie and I can say, Ernie, what would be some of the things in your life that has made you successful? And, and he'd, he'd right away, he's, I've never asked you that. Right away, I guarantee he'd say, oh, Beverly. And then he started talking about Beverly. And saying how she'd been faithful and she had five children and took care of the house and made him have a nice place to come home to after being in oil fields. And I could go to uh, this man right here, Brother Rose, says the same thing. He say, "Oh, Marilyn, or I could go to you, and you'd say your wife. See, it, it's it's it, it it's like the, the two become one flesh. A house divided against itself will fall. The Bible says a foolish woman she tears her house down with her own hands because she tears her man down." Don't you let feminism destroy you. Don't do it. It will destroy you, by the way. It will destroy the best of marriages. So, off the subject again. You're not chosen. He did not choose Israel because of his merit. You got that. He did not choose Israel because of his size. I don't believe that's a trumpet. Deuteronomy 7.7 7 says, The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, but you were the fewest of all people. So what was the basis of the choosing of, of Israel? Was it on their merit? No. What was the basis of the choosing of Israel? Was it on their size? No. What was the basis of the choosing of Israel? Was it on their talent or their ability? No. He chose Saul. He said he was uh, a Benjamin of the smallest of the tribes of Israel. He said his family were the least of the families of, of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, Samuel told uh, Saul, he said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Uh, he, he told David, you know, David had seven brothers, if I've got this right. And and uh, Samuel really thought one of those brothers should be king. They looked kingly. They had a they had a kingly stand. They had a, whatever that means. But they just looked kingly. And then God said, no, no, no. If I said, do you have any other children? He said, yeah, I got one. I mean, the baby of the family, he's out there taking care of the sheep because we didn't even bring him in here because we didn't think he had a chance. He said, I ain't eating. I'm not sitting down Do you bring him in. And when old David walked in that door, the Holy Spirit whispered says, He's the one. Yeah. He said to David, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, Israel, 2 Samuel 7, 8. And what happened to David with Bathsheba is because he forgot where he came from. He was a big, tough king, could have anything he wanted. And what was wild about that whole thing is Nathan said, through, God, through Nathan, said, if you'd ask for somebody, I ought to give them to you, but not somebody else's wife. So, so, all the nations in the world, God chose Israel, not because of intellect or educated, he didn't choose intellect or educated Greece, didn't choose powerful or glamorous Rome didn't choose beautiful Babylon to be his people. He did not choose humongous China because of his vast population to be his people. He chose the least likely group of them all, this little group called Israel, and you can't explain it. God chooses based upon His grace. And you can't figure it out, and I won't figure it out. Nobody's going to figure it out Why well, God chooses certain people to do certain things. But he does, and it's his way. He chose Jerusalem to be his city. Of all the cities in the world, not Rome, not Athens, not Nineveh, not Babylon, he chose Jerusalem. He chose Aaron to be high priest. Now, I personally, whew, Aaron was a compromiser. He was weak-willed. He was a man-pleaser. And he was a liar, and that's a short list. But he was the high priest. Because God said, I want Aaron to be the high priest. You can argue with God all you want. But it was his grace. He chose Jacob. This is another one. They're two in a row. Jacob. My least liked individual in the Bible is Jacob. I can't stand him. I wouldn't want to be around him. He was sneaky, slippery, Conniving, con man, terribly selfish. You had to always look around over your back when you were around him, check your pockets. But God says, Of you, I'm going to make a great nation. I'm going, Him? There's hope for me. I mean, these aren't the people that you and I would choose. Amen? How about Gideon? Gideon, that's another Bible character. He was from a runt, he was a runt child, from a runt family, from a runt tribe, from a runt nation. Great outline, I like that. Judges chapter 6, verse 14 through 17. How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? She was a nobody in a nothing town, 14, 15 year old girl. Maybe a little younger, maybe slightly older, but not much. And she didn't even understand it. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Absolute, unmerited, simple grace is what God uses in his choosing. And you'll not be able to figure it out. I mean, you go back to the 12 apostles. Uh, Wow. I mean, I would never have chosen Peter to be the leader. Of the thing, would you? Peter was emotional, up and down, and inconsistent. Would have been a, the short list on Peter. He spoke before he thought. Though all the rest of these guys deny you, I won't deny you. He said, oh, really? Before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. No, not me. He even challenged Jesus' word, by the way. Jesus was telling him he's going to go in Jerusalem and die and be torn- be. Be given up to the priests and crucified, and and he said, "Not you! That's not going to happen." He said, "Get behind me." And he calls Peter Satan. But yet, it was God's choosing to put him as literally the head of the apostles, giving him the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of God. What he released on earth was released in heaven when he when he released the gospel to the Jews, it was released when he released the gospel to the Samaritans and when he released the gospel to the Gentiles. He released it on them. And the Bible says that, that was his prerogative. How about James and John, the sons of Zebedee? They were impulsive, rash, definitely mean spirited. When they when, when going through Samaria when they wouldn't let him in the city, it says, "What can we just call Fire down from heaven, lightning down from heaven, and just burn them up. I'd say that's fundamental independent Baptist sounding. On a bad day. That's on a bad day. On a good day, let's go in there and evangelize them. Do a bus ministry. Samaria. But he shows them. He chose him. That was what He did. So, before we get proud, God does not choose us on personal merit, ability, position, size, talent. He chooses us based on His absolute grace and sovereign will. So, what an honor it is to be chosen of God for a specific ministry or a specific call. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, it talks about the high priest, he says, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. I, I did not choose to be a pastor, did not want to be a pastor. I wanted to be anything but a pastor. Told God that. But he made it happen. Pretty much made it happen. And he said, you're going to do this, but kind of whether you like it or not, this is what you're going to do. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, he chooses people to suffer. He chooses people to suffer. There's a whole plethora of Scripture on this. You don't have time to go there, but I'll give you some. In Isaiah 48, 10, it says, Behold, I have refined thee, but with, not, with silver I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. I'm preparing a sermon around. I'm trying to get a sermon around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says they they were in a rush, so they bound them in their clothes. They used the strongest men, the big boys of the armies, big, bad, strong men. They bound them, and then they, they must have carried them to the door of the furnace and threw them in. The fire was so hot that it killed the men who threw them in. Those are pretty loyal men, by the way. They knew they were going to be dead one way or another. If they didn't do what the king told them to do, they were going to be dead. And if they did what the king told them to do, maybe they would live, but they didn't. They all died. I just want to know when the boys began to feel, began not to feel the heat. You know, you're standing this far away, that door back there being the furnace, probably you could have felt the heat, the radiant heat. They're being bound, right? Now they don't know they're not going to be saved. They do not know they're going to be saved. They said, "They said, but if not, I'm also going to preach on, But I'm not. I just want to know when it was. As they began to get closer to that, they wondered, "Where's the heat? Where, where's the heat? At? I don't feel any heat." And the men, or maybe started screaming. I don't know if the men screamed, but if you get burnt, you probably do scream. I mean, they screamed, and, and they threw them in there, and they're like, "No heat, no smoke." Wow. But well, they did not presume on God, did they? They said, if so be he, deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to bow down. We're going to do your will. Uh, but So God chooses pastors and prophets. He chooses evangelists. He chooses deacons. He chooses missionaries. He chooses some people just to suffer affliction. I think, what, what did Job ever do? All he did was suffer affliction. But he became an example of, of a person who, how to handle when affliction comes your way. How to handle it when you get bad news. When you get bad news, what do you do? you go to pieces? Or do you say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Your child gets killed in an automobile accident, what do you say? You go to pieces, break apart, go into some sort of Breakdown. Or do you say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh the way, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible said, Job sinned not with his lips, nor did he accuse God. I don't know what's going to happen to you people. But I know some bad things are going to happen. Because it's a bad world. And bad things happen in a bad world. I don't know what's going to happen to you. But you can be prepared for it because of the guy named Job. Which, by the way, didn't do really anything else as far as we know, other than he just was a chosen vessel to suffer affliction and learn the lessons of gratefulness and humility. And then that was a great that was a great blessing, right? Okay. Um, what about? Well let's, let's see this some other people. Uh, John Bunyan. You remember John Bunyan? Pilgrim's Progress. you all read Pilgrim's Progress? If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, shame on you, and you ought to go get it. Make sure you you can get it on Alibris, you can get it on Barnes & Noble, you can get it on any bookstore, you can probably get it used cheap. But you buy that book and read it. If you don't get anything out of tonight, you buy Pilgrim's Progress and read it from one end to the other. Read the thing through. You'll cry your way through it, and you'll laugh your way through it unless you're just stone cold. One of the greatest books I've ever read except the Bible. Pilgrim's Progress. How did it happen? What was John Bunyan's ministry? What church did he build? None. No. He got thrown in prison for 12 years at Bedford where he lived with the rats and the slime. Did God forsake him? 12 years. Think about it now. 12 years is a long time, amen? 12 years is a long time. Four years of college. Uh, uh, Brittany probably thinks, man, four years will I ever graduate? Seems like a while. But 12, if I told you, well, you'll graduate in 12 years, you go, 12 years? That's a long time. I'll be an old woman. John Bunyan had a blind daughter. He didn't take care of her. It he wasn't, he wasn't her daddy to her. He wasn't a husband to his wife. All because he, they told him you have to have a license to preach. This is government intrusion. Where? Are those men, I hope they're in this room, for not having a license, he spent 12 years in in a rat-infested, scummy prison. Could have died there. What God was doing was he chose him to write a book called Pilgrim's Progress, and that was his studio. Boy, God chose a different studio than I would have chosen. Amen? Well, you're you're getting the idea, amen, on the whole thing. The Furnace of Affliction. Um, Stephen, that was another one. Uh, And let me finish with this. What's going on in your life is not a sickness. It's a call of God. It's not MS or lupus or some other problem. It's a call of God. It's not cancer. It's a call of God. You've been specially chosen. It's not loneliness that you're suffering as a single woman or single man. Some of you have been single many years. It's a call of God. It's not a tragedy that just happened to you. It's a call of God. You've been chosen. Many are called, but few chosen. In the big picture of it all, there aren't too many Jobs. There's not too many John Bunyan's. There's not too many William Carey's. There's not too many Adoniram Judson's. But there are some. Many are called, but few are chosen. I hope that helps you understand that some better. Father, help us tonight